There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello there, good afternoon and welcome along to Friday's Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you again and it being Friday means that as well as the usual packed show, we have added some wine and some books. So don't say we don't spoil you. Anyway, um, not only is it Friday, but today is the 31st of March. Winter is more or less behind us and we have sunny days ahead. Last night I was in bed and I was mindlessly scrolling as you do and I mindlessly scroll in bed because I wait until midnight for the new Wordle to drop. I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only idiot who does that, uh, but it's really stupid habit because then you start doing your wordle and your brain starts firing up and then you wonder why you can't go to sleep. Anyway, a book helps and we have lots of books to talk about a little bit later on. Anyway, there I was browsing through my Instagram and Facebook history last night waiting for the wordle and I was reminded that this day three years ago we were all delighted to see photos in the newspapers of the Aer Lingus flights arriving back from Beijing in China loaded to the gunnels with PPE for the HSE as the country began to get to grips with this new pandemic. Looking back now, like the photographs are just extraordinary. The very familiar interior of an aircraft, of an Aer Lingus aircraft in particular, packed not with passengers, but with this precious cargo, which, you know, there was a real relief. I remember looking at the photos and thinking, oh, this is great. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to get to grips with this, if only we knew. Anyway, um, when the cargo arrived in Dublin, then it was loaded onto army uh, trucks, which were uh, distributed. Um, incredible, really, when you think of it. And looking back at it now, it seems like another lifetime. Um, And it is, I guess, now history. Uh, But there's a lot to be said for returning to normality. But then knowing your history is also important, as the wonderful African-American poet Maya Angelou said, you can't really know where you're going unless you know where you've been. Um, And we'll be talking about history, actually, a little bit later on as well. So stay with us. As usual, we would love to hear what you think about any of the topics that we have on the show or if there's anything else that you want to get in touch with us about. Don't be shy. You can send a text or a WhatsApp to 086-1800-658. And as I say, we would really love to hear from you. Now, as I said, today is the 31st of March. So tomorrow is April Fool's Day, a day when if you're like me and you kind of like the quirky side of news, it's very difficult to know what's real and what's kind of make you up. And I fall into that trap on a, on a regular basis. Um, when did April Fool's begin? Uh Some historians think that it dates back to 1582 when apparently France changed from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. And in the Julian calendar, the new year turned uh, around about the spring equinox, which was around about the 1st of April. So it was people who were slow to cotton on to this new calendar and who continued to celebrate the new year around April 1st became the butt of jokes and hoaxes. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I have a man who might know all kinds of other things uh, about April Fool's. 
folklorist Michael Fortune is joining me now. Uh, Michael, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, and I, I can't but help. I, I was reading that same story you were reading there about the the start the start of the start of the new year. Uh, our our calendar didn't start until a seventeen twenties. Our calendar went from the uh, we went from the twenty fifth of March to the first of January for the start of the new year. Um, so that that uh, um, so that's a, it's actually not that long ago, really, when you when you consider it that 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 jump happened. Um, yeah. And I suppose it, it manifests itself. It's funny it manifests itself in, in our Irish days. Actually, when we think of the month, uh, if we think of the month of uh, September, for example, or the month not nine in Irish, it's May. Um, so I, I, I can explain. Yeah, if, 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 if I want to go on a tangent, I can explain to you if you want to. But if, you see, our Irish, the, 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 if you use the first, uh, use the say the first of April as your starting first month. Yeah. Uh, actually, so April is the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. So if you go to October, is oct, and the Irish for eight is oct, is 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 oct. Ah. And we go nay is November, is nay, and day is December. And then you say to yourself, how in the name of God? So oct is not oct is not is a tenth month, but it's not the tenth month. It's basically the it's the it's the eighth month based on that old calendar date the old starting calendar date Isn't it doesn't that make gas? any sense to you at all it anyway, does no anyway. I'm following you, you lost me for a bit at the beginning but I caught up and yeah I understand <laughs> now absolutely yeah. um, tell me is, is April Fool's Day and playing jokes and hoaxes and winding people up and making shows of people is that something that you're into Michael yourself uh, come here listen I grew up in a house where it was it was actually like a minefield in April on, on that morning, right? Because my poor old father, me, she was always tricks my mother, and it's it, they were kind of tricks. They were really harmless. I'll be honest with you. you know, they're kind of really harmless. You know, like your, your yeah. shoelaces are open. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, even when the postman had come, like even my other half, she's she's she grew up in a house where it was the same. And literally, the poor old postman would be coming dropping off the off the off the, off the mail, and you'd just tell him that he'd a flat tire, and he'd go around and he'd look at Aww. it, and, go, and you know, and then you know that, that kind of crack kind of carried on. So it's it's definitely like a minefield in our house I, my <laughs> mother was always the same I remember before old father God rest him he used to dig graves for, for he did dig on the side and she should she, be playing tricks and I should say the undertakers after ringing up in the hall everyone's talking to so and so and she'd go up and they'd be known at the end of the phone oh like, no really Simple stuff, but harmless. But you're reminding you know me now. You're bringing me back because I, when I was thinking about this, I couldn't think of anything. But you reminded me of my father's favourite one. Used to be as we went out the door to school, he'd wait until you were at the gate or maybe a bit further, and then he'd call you back. And you'd come all the way back, and he'd say, "Where would you be if I hadn't called you?" <laughs> and he thought this was great. Cra- and we fell for it every single time. <laughs> yeah. And funny you say that about, about the, it's actually the mood, the, the journey is a really interesting thing. When you look at it, I, I was looking at like examples in the, in the Irish context, and even looking at the school's folklore scheme, and even examples before that. Yeah. The, kind of a, the idea was about sending the fool further, or basically the movement. You know, I know a lot of people can play pra- practical jokes and tricks and kind of like just fool people with the news yeah. or that kind of crack, right? But a lot of it was that idea of a little bit of a journey or getting some someone to do something that they shouldn't be doing. You know, Waste, like, wasting their time, in other words. Exactly that, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but it's big in France, like the French, or the Germans have it, the French in particular, you probably was looking yourself, you know, they call it uh, fish, fish, uh, poisson d'avril. D'avril, yeah. Yeah, and they would stick a little, you know, it's fairly harmless enough now, stick a little fish, in, uh, fish on someone's back and basically let them walk around with a stuck to their back. But that was the same thing here, I was looking at the school's folklore scheme again there this morning, same kind of crack again, you know, you might, you might write April Fool on a piece of paper and stick it to someone's back. It was fairly harmless enough, but I tell you what, a harmless looking looking but when you're as I said when you grow up in my house or live in my house I'm telling you everyone will, will be on edge tomorrow morning <laughs> waiting for you to, I don't know if you came across there was another story that I loved actually in 1956 a rhinoceros called Ka- Karsarer now 
Carcar echo, I think, which is the Portuguese word. I'm sorry to anybody who speaks Portugal that I've, I've rubbed that word. I've, I'm sure I haven't got it right. But it's the Portuguese word for rubbish. So this pang, this rhinoceros called, whatever it is, the Portuguese word for rubbish, won a council seat in Sao Paulo in Brazil with 100,000 votes due to a campaign led by students who were tired of the city's mismanagement. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He actually won a seat on the council. There's a rhinoceros. <laughs> so there was something else. Um, it was. Is there any uh, specifically Irish kind of pranks that, that tended to happen on, on, on April Fool's Day? No, I'd love to be able to tell you. If you got me at any other time of year with other customs, I could tell you loads. But they're not. But they're, 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 the, the simple ones, all I can say is any of your listeners there and maybe put out a call for some of them, the, the simple ones work. And I guarantee you, I'd, I'd say there's houses like the, the house that I grew up in, whatever, that kind of that kind of carry-on goes on. Now, I've been caught out by my mother-in-law, you know, wardrobes falling over. I've got the odd old fake email as well from her on, on, <laughs> on, 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 on April Fool's Day. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting more sophisticated with our, how we, how we and catch people out, yeah. Um, but but no, but it, it, it's just it's, well. Here, actually, here's one thing. Actually, here's the cooks for the Irish one. Was it? Um, it it's the twelve o'clock is a cut off. And that's, that's, that's right. I had the verse in my head earlier on I can't remember it now. I'll remember it for you April's sure. Fool is dead and gone and you're the fool for carrying it on that's exactly it that's ding exactly ding. it and so there's, the, there's, the, there's your cut off um, but yeah so be up, up bright and early and, uh, and, and figure figure out your plan but uh, listen come here to me it's, uh, it's the, for the first of April it's uh, I, I, it's we're, 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 we're almost I heard you mention earlier on about the winter yeah. it's funny we're, we're going into first of April now actually we're going into the if we're going into there's a thing called the borrowing days some of your listeners may have heard of them it's the what the what the what they were called they're just different names around the country up in Ulster they call them the old cow days or the reef folk days in parts of the country or the our skin branny days or the borrow days or the borrowing days and basically March has been absolutely dreadful it's been a, a March of mixed weather for sure yeah. and basically um, the, the, all, the, all the people would say that April will borrow a couple of days from March so from some people say it'll borrow two or three days so basically the bad weather that we had in March, April will borrow it, borrow it, and they're always called the borrowed days. So you can go from like two days to twelve days, depending on what part of the country you're in. Yeah. The old people always always had that, but you know that kind of continuation, and then hopefully then after those borrowed days are finished, then we we'll start to get. This I don't know about you, but I'm so old now that I honestly think that the seasons have actually changed slightly. I've noticed in the last few years, like what you said, although then again, if it's a, if it's a folk thing, it's obviously always been the way, that the summer is later getting started now, but it lasts l- longer as well. Like we had very good weather. I mean, even November wasn't that cold. Um, but summer tends to not start, like it doesn't feel like summer temperature wise until well into May, which I yeah. think is, is quite late. But that's, there's no basis, scientific basis for that. That's just the, my own machinations in my own mad head. So that well, the mach- be anything to do with that yeah yeah well it's funny you say that because there's a verse and it, uh, it's kind of like one of those classic folklore verses it says that March comes in like a lime and, lime and goes out like a lamb yes now, the that's thing right. is, I know so many people who say no you, you can reverse that as well they basically come in mild and then it'll go out terrible um, because, and maybe it's because due to, due to climate change maybe yeah. you know I, I don't know but definitely it's, it's, it's not always some of these verses are not all, all, all set in stone listen um, because, we don't yeah. want to. We don't want to be depressing people at the end of this. So tell me. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, apparently, there's this is is it today or tomorrow is the best day for getting your hair cut. What's that about? Oh God, come here. Here's a great one. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was working on a lovely collection of folklore down here in Wexford, and uh, one of the great things actually was that the last Friday and the month 
was the time to get your hair cut. I'm working with a group of traveller women actually, and we've just literally sent a book to print this morning of, of, of superstitions that are across the community, they're right across this, all, all of Ireland, but the travelling community tend to take a lot of the traditions and kind of make them their own. Yes. And this is one that I love. There's loads of, loads of folklore and traditions around hair, and, and hair and hair has been so important. And one of the things was this was the best day to get your hair cut, was the last Friday of the month. So that goes for any of you now if you want to get your hair cut. Lovely. About four hours left. Four hours left. Go and make those appointments quick. Michael, um, I'd love to talk to you again when you have that book out. That sounds really interesting. But listen, for the moment, Gurnamila Magath, and I hope you don't fall too foul of the tomfoolery and April foolery that will be all around us tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today. Don't go away. After the break, we have, we were going to talk about not over-loving your pets. Stay with us. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you today. Now, as if you were listening yesterday, you will know that I mentioned that I currently live with four, well, kind of four and a half cats and a dog and I also have a pair of foxes who come into my garden for supper every night. I love animals, couldn't live without animals and I hope I never have to. However, showing our affection for our beloved pets can sometimes result in Fido or Tiger putting on more pounds than is healthy. So, in fact, obese pets can have serious health implications and it's on the rise. To tell me more, I'm joined now by Sarah O'Malley who runs a pet weight management clinic in Furhouse in Dublin. How are you doing, Sarah? Hi, you're not I'm all right now. I'm looking forward to this chat because I feel I probably am going to learn a few things. Tell me, okay. what what are we doing wrong with our pets? Are we killing them with our love? Yeah. Oh. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> we're, we're killing them with kindness. Um, I, I suppose everyone uh, wants to, to spoil their pets rotten, but we're, we're definitely um, overfeeding them for sure, unfortunately. Okay, so before we go into the how not to do that... I mean, you know, sometimes I think we think because animals aren't that pushed themselves about how they look, that it's not an issue if they're a bit mm-hmm. tubby around the middle or if they're a bit waddly. Um, but it can have serious health implications. Can you outline for us what what are, what are, what is the damage that being overweight yeah. can do to an animal? So I suppose the, the biggest kind of um, implication that we see would be joint disease. Um, in, in both cats and dogs and even, you know, rabbits and things like that, um, that um, any excess weight is putting extra pressure on their joints. Um, so uh, we're seeing that a lot. And then another one would be kind of heart disease, um, you know, because, um, you know, they may not just be a little bit chunky on the external, they, they can be internally as well. So organs are, are surrounded by extra fat and then that, that makes them work harder um, to, to try and function, basically. So... Um, it's a bit the same as it's a bit like people then they get kind of the same things that happen to people if we're overweight can I ask you another question again because um, I was that well I still am a bit overweight but I gave myself type 2 diabetes can animals get type 2 diabetes Absolutely, yeah. They, they? Diabetes, um, they, they don't really have type 1 and type 2 the same as humans. Um, but yeah, they, we can actually um, definitely cause diabetes um, by, by overfeeding and kind of giving sugary um, sugary foods to them and things like that as well. So um, that can be another um, another ill effect of, of overfeeding, unfortunately. Yeah, and would you say that, again, as an owner of both dogs and cats, um, mm-hmm. would you say that this is a bigger issue for dogs than cats? Because cats generally tend to be fussier about what they eat, whereas dogs, in my experience, will hoover up anything you give them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I definitely see probably more um, obesity in dogs 
uh, but I, I would see a lot in cats as well. Um, it, I suppose it depends on the personality of each animal. Um, some animals, just like humans, are foodie animals and they just will eat meat. There are certain breeds that are more predisposed um, to obesity. Um, and that certainly for dogs would be the likes of like Labradors, Bugs, Eagles. Um, you know, King Charles Cavaliers, and then for for cats, you know, the kind of fancier breeds, being coon cats, um, British Shorthairs, um, you know, any of, of of the kind of fancy cats can be prone to obesity um, as well. You know, with the Persians and, and things like that. So um, we definitely do see obesity in cats, and I do have a number of cats in my weight clinics, but yeah. um, cats are a lot more difficult to um, get them to lose weight than dogs because you can't really exercise them the same way. As it eat and dogs. Yeah, that's very true. I had a cat once. Uh, we mm. adored him. Now he had yet some personality issues, mm. but um, his name was Simba, and he he was a big and like as anybody who has cats knows, especially with tom cats, when you get them neutered, they mm. tend to become quite lazy. And I mm. I mean uh, Simba did put on quite a bit of weight and we just were like he's a bit fat and I once had somebody who called to the door and they took a look at Simba who had quite a large stomach and they said is that cat all right and I went yeah and they went have you had it checked it looks like it has a tumour and I nearly died put the cat raced down to the vet thinking my cat's on death door and it's my fault went into the vet and said I think my cat has a tumour and the vet said why do you think that and I said because a man at the door said he looked like he had a tumour and uh, the, the, the vet checked out my cat and said He's just a fat cat. Um, and But he was eating the same as everybody else, but he did zero exercise. Like literally, mm-hmm. he went out the cat flap, which at the, uh, I have to say, at, at one point he had difficulty getting through the cat flap. He used to get stuck in his back legs, he used to go up the air. But he would go out and he'd do his business and then he'd yeah. come back in and he just slept all day long. And it's very hard then to to deal with that because you can't, yeah. as you say, put a lead on a cat and say, come on, we're going for a hike. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people are are taking to doing that now with, um, you know, indoor cats that they keep in apartments and things like that. They are actually bringing them out for walks, but <laughs> most, cats, most cats aren't too keen on it. They aren't too keen on even putting a harness on. Getting a harness on a cat is like giving it a bath. Like, you know, they wouldn't exactly, like that at all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of training from, from um, kitten, kitten right. um is kind of where you need to start that, I suppose. Is the other thing as well with cats to take the food away when they're finished eating rather than leaving it there so they can come back yeah. and keep snacking all day? Exactly. So the, the most important thing with feeding any any pet is um, to actually weigh out the food so that they have a total amount. Um, so on the guidelines on the back of the bag of food, um, there will be a guideline to feed your pet. So say your cat should be four kilos, you should feed your cat for four kilos and it'll tell you an amount. You should physically weigh that out on a digital scale because using the measuring cups, unfortunately, isn't accurate. Oh. Um, yeah. So um, they, they did a study before between two veterinary nurses. They asked them both to weigh out 80 grams. One weighed out 87 grams and one weighed out 93, I think. And, and the cables looked even in the cup. They looked like they were both at 80, but it's just the way the cable can assist. Unfortunately, you can under or overfeed quite easily. Um, so that, that's why it's really, really important to actually use the digital scales um, to weigh meals and what I recommend to clients is just weigh a week's worth of meals in, in one day so like on a Sunday you know if, if there's kids it's a great task to get them to weigh out fluffy um, food for the week and keep them in you know like lunch boxes or in like little Ziploc bags or something like that so you know the portions are already ready to go and you don't have to yeah to 
spend time doing it every day. That's a great tip. So then do you think, Sarah, is there, there's no need for people to think that if they buy the very expensive either cat or dog food, that that is nutritionally going to be better for the animal? Is like, do you think it's really portion size? It's about actually just making sure your animal isn't yeah. getting more than they need. Yeah, well, I mean, certain things can can be more calorific as well than others. Um, I, I know a lot of the time, you know, people are really focused on high protein diets and they want a really, really high protein for their pets, whereas that, that actually isn't the, the way to look at it. They should only have a certain amount of protein depending on their, their kind of breeding size. Um, but um, a lot of people kind of focus on that. And it's the same as if um, you were drinking a lot of protein shakes and not doing any exercise, not going to the gym, you're just having a, a, a massive amount of protein intake yeah. and then not doing any exercise to get rid of it, you're not going to put on excess weight. So I, I suppose that can be a big a big problem with some pet foods as well. Yeah. I was reading actually some of the figures that she sent us here that up to 40% of cats and 60% of dogs and 28% of rabbits in Ireland are now overweight. That's that's really quite a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is indeed quite a problem. Um, you know, when people are, are thinking they're doing the best for their pets and you know, when people are seeing their animals every day, they're, they're maybe not noticing that they're overweight um, necessarily until until it's brought to their attention. And, you know, it, that can be a difficult conversation to have. Um, but, you know, you know, as, as certainly professionals, that is our job to kind of make people aware of if their um, pet isn't in their ideal weight yeah. category. And of course, you know, don't be feeding your dog bits from the table because you're only going to make a rod for your own back with a dog who'll never leave you alone if you're ever having exactly. ever having a, a meal. Listen, Sarah, where can people get more information um, and where can people get in touch with you if they need to to, to get some help? Yeah, well, um, I, guess I, I work in a clinic in Dublin called My Vet and Fur House. Um, so we have three practices, um, one in Fur House, one in Lucid and one in Minute. Um, we all do weight clinics in our um, respective clinics. Um, but most um, veterinary clinics will have, um, you know, a, a veteran nurse yeah. who um, run weight clinics. It's mostly nurses that do it. Um, and they have a keen interest in kind of um, dietary yeah. and kind of weight loss for, for pets. So Great. For asking information just in, in regards to diet, yeah. um, you know, definitely ask your local vets. No. And, you know, we, we definitely know all the information you might need. Good, good advice right there. Listen, Sarah, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. That was fascinating. I hope none of my animals are listening because they're all going to be on <laughs> diets now as soon as I get home. <laughs> anyway, thank you. To, uh, thank you very much. That was Sarah O'Malley there. Now, uh, books. Um, I would be lost without coffee, cats, baths, books and gin in no particular order. And books actually very often remind me of when I was a smoker. And when I was a smoker, I... When I got down to about the last five cigarettes in a pack, I always had to have another pack lined up. And I'm now like that with books, which is far healthier habit. So I always have to have when I'm reading a book, by the time I'm halfway through, I need to have either two or three lined up so that I can make a choice as to what to read next. Um, So I love books and I'm delighted then uh, to have the opportunity to whet my appetite for some great new reads uh, by talking now to Irene Gahan of Academy Books in Southgate. Uh, A fab bookshop, it has to be said. Um, How are you doing, Irene? Hello, Barbara. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too and happy end of March and happy into April and summer's coming I and know. all that kind of things. The, the first three months of the year are absolutely disastrous for bookshops. They're always really quiet. So Really? Yeah, we come out of our, we start to come out in spring. So from the 1st of April, we start to blossom. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. That's unusual because I always think, I know, so, you know, summer reads are a big thing, but I always think winter, you know, the long nights of winter are always the time when you want to kind of curl up with a book. 
I know, that'd be me. But I, I think it's more a case of people get, you know, when people get lots of books for Christmas. Yes. Um, and then, of course, Mother's Day. And then, of course, Valentine's Day. And if the person in your life loves books, that's, of course, that's the first thing you're going to get them. Yes. Um, so I think it's kind of, this is the kind of the time when we, you know, a bookshop sort of start to kind of blossom. Um, and there's certainly an awful lot of books out at the moment that are just super. Well, that's true. Um, and that's true because I've noticed that myself. Okay, so... Um, the first book that you have for us today is the latest one by Liz Nugent, who is one of Ireland's most successful and respected writers. So tell me about this book. What's it called? It is, it is. And I was lucky enough to meet her last November and we chatted about Strange Sally Diamond. Um, and I think this could be the book of the year. I, I, it was funny because we were having a conversation in here about Spare basically was the book of January, was when everyone was talking about. But I think now for March, Strange Sally Diamond, Liz is on the bestseller, number one in the bestseller list now for the fourth week running. Wow. And I think this could be the book of the year. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't win uh, win something. Else. Okay, you heard um, it here first, folks. You can take a bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you know what? It's It's... I think it's just, it's typical in the Liz Nugent vein. Anyone who's read Unraveling Oliver will know she opens with sort of shock value. Um, and it's, it's it, you know, it's not, it's done integral to the parts of the plot. Um, and it's dark and disturbing. And it's, um, you know, definitely uncomfortable in, in pieces. But I think that's what her, the beauty of her writing is. I think it takes something that we, the people in general think is, oh my gosh, it's just so evil, it's so wrong. But yet it's, it is prevalent in society it does happen so I think she takes things that have happened um, and that are potentially you know they're, they're, for, for the normal people it would be oh my gosh this is shock horror <laughs> but, but actually I'm sure there's a case of this somewhere <laughs> she probably knows the case of this somewhere some, you know somewhere and I think it's, it's you know it's, Can you give us a taste of that by giving us the first line of her, of her new book? Well, he was small and frail and 82 years old. And by then it was so easy to get him into one large garden waste bag. Oh, okay, Right. Um, Because her dad basically says, her 82-year-old father says, when I die, just put me out with the rubbish. And that's exactly what Sally does. (laughs) And she doesn't, she's she's in her early 40s, but she doesn't see... She doesn't see the error of it. Um, she's, she, you know, and, and she, her father tells her she's socially deficient. Um, right. But it, it's, I, and I know it's called Strange Sally Diamond, but I don't think Sally is actually that strange. And I, and I, I had that joke with, I, I did laugh um, when I said, it, <laughs> I said it to a few people. I don't think she's actually that strange. Um, uh, uh, Irene, I'm starting to worry about you now if yeah, you don't think I that know, that's that Lu- strange. Louise will, Louise will probably tell you, yeah, Louise will probably be nodding there now. Yeah. <laughs> through the window at you going well <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah she is <laughs> yeah I can you- imagine but do you know what I think the, the beauty of Liz Newsom's books and I think the beauty of this book I mean I would I think on Goodreads it's, it's up to about a six point, a 4.7 out of 5 and I would give it like a 4.9 wow. um, out of 5 and I and I think I I read Unraveling Oliver and I when I tell you it stayed with me it still stayed with me and I think this book is the same and not necessarily for the reasons that people would think but this stayed with me because um, there is evil out there and the more we see things like the Kerry Baby scandal oh. the, you know the Annie McCarrick scandal and the, the, the our murder missing I, I think it's the more we see these things um, I mean it was like a flashback to my childhood um, and these cases there in the last two or three weeks yeah. 
the more we realise, no, no, you know what, we, Liz, I think, just, I think she's just great at taking stuff that has happened, that's pure evil, and, and, and weaving, weaving it into a, such an amazing story that it's totally plausible. Um, yeah, you, I was interested that you said um, that if you loved Ol- Eleanor Oliphant, that um, yeah. this would be a book that would appeal to you. And I loved El- Eleanor Oliphant, uh, but I, I tend to not read crime or things that are very dark because they stay in my head and I can't get rid of them. <laughs> uh, but I, you're you're making me think now that maybe this would be worth a punt. Well, I think the character. I think the character of Sally Diamond is similar to Eleanor, right. um, but the actual overall story is not. And I think it's very much about this, you know, woman who's being protected and looked after, and and we don't really know why she is. Um, the way she is and then we we find the backstory of why she is the way she is and and then she steps out and she she you know she's trying to step out into the light with the help of other people right. um and and then it's just it, the whole st- the whole story is just so beautifully woven i i have to say i really really enjoyed okay. it okay well you've certainly sold that um <laughs> i'll put that on my list uh, now your your next choice is another book by an irish writer by Anne griffin now i know the name is familiar can you tell us what what did she write before because i know she's other books hasn't she yeah so she wrote um two other books so when all is said came out in 2019 and it won uh, quite a few awards and then listening still came out i think it was 2020 or early 2020 was that the one about the the undertakers yes yes i remember that yeah so she and i mean she's only started writing uh, i mean her first novel was 2019 so she again i just think ireland is amazing for Irish, I mean, there's that to be said for Irish female crime yes. writers. I mean, what does that tell you? About? Yes, I don't <laughs> what does know. That tell you, what does that tell you about Manada Heron? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so um, we've got either we've great imaginations or we've great material to pull from. Um, so I think. It, this book is lovely. So um, I got a proof of it. So it's only coming out now in in, in April. Oh, okay. Um, I got a proof of it. So I got to I've gotten to read it. And and you know what? Sometimes books, when you get proofs, they feel like homework. But this just was absolutely lovely. I love that. Um, so Rosie's waiting for her daughter basically to come home, but she never arrives. Um, so she's had a bit of a row with her daughter. She never arrives home. And this is eight set eight years later. So right. she. The unknown, so it kind of ties in the, you know, the disappearance again. It kind of yeah. ties into it ties into the sort of things that were happening at the time. Um, she goes off then. She has two sons who are older, and then her husband. Obviously, you know, it, it's it's with any relationship that would be difficult. Um, her father gets poorly, so she goes back to her. Her father's a captain on a ferry um, off an island. Uh, on an island off the off, off the coast of Ireland, yeah. um, and she's qualified to to drive I would say captain the ferry as it were. So she goes back, um, and I think it's kind of her going back home to try and centre and regroup and kind of you know find herself and try and you know kind of get back to. In the book is I think the book is about loss, but it's also about uncertainty, um, and it's also about how tragedy, like like tragedies, can either split a family or you know or pull them either yes. together. So, but her characters are lovely, and I really liked the character, and I really I I just felt like it was becoming the book became a friend. If that makes sense? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, it is a roller coaster ride, and you you, you kind of do go along with her emotions. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, grateful that, I'm grateful that the book gets me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds one to look out for as well, and that, as you say, is coming out in April. Um, yes, Irene, what are you reading right now? Either homework-wise or for homework pure wise, pleasure. That sounds- 
terrible, doesn't it? See, I'm terrible. I would have about six books on the go um, at any one time. So but at the moment, I'm reading Peter Swanson's Nine Lives, okay. um, which is crime. I loved his book, Rules for Perfect Murders. Um, and that's what got me hooked with this particular writer. So I'm a demon for if I find a book I like by a particular author, I go and read all of them. All of them, yeah. <laughs> You're a bit of a one for crime as well, it seems, and dark I themes. I love my crime. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And you know what? Catherine Ryan Howard has, um, has a new book coming out and Joe Spain has a new book coming out and a new crime book. And I'm just, uh, my mum's my just after buying me tickets again for the Iceland War Crime Festival again in November. So I'm very much about my crime, but then these kind of books drag me back out of my, <laughs> yeah. my darkness. <laughs> my Catherine darkness. Ryan Howard is great. She's 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 terrific. Um, uh, so I look forward. When is her her book will be out shortly um, as well? I think. I think, her book, I think her book is coming out either July. I think it's June or July. June or July. So great. There'll That's... be a whole. There'll be a whole glut of books scheduled to come out just before the summer. Um, and her book, The Nothing Man, was my favourite. Um, absolutely, it was about a serial killer in Cork. Um, <laughs> I know. And I just loved it. It was just such a brilliant, it was so brilliantly written and it was just, it was lovely. Lovely. So, uh, yeah, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm really, I'm a very, very crime orientated. <laughs> I'm just going to give a shout out to a book. I was at the release of it uh, or the launch of it during the week, um, um, which is nothing to do with, well, I suppose is and isn't anything to do do with crime but it's a, if anybody's into history and into modern Irish history and into the history around the independence and the civil war there's a very good biography of Liam Lynch that has been written by Jared Shannon that was that was um, launched during the week and I've just I haven't read it but I've dipped in and out of it a fair bit and it looks if you're interested in that period it looks like a really really good a really good read yeah and I love the fact we uh, we just really seem to be producing some absolutely fabulous writers you know, fabulous books and fabulous writers and I would love because I travel an awful lot I'm always looking for the Irish author's book on yeah. the shelf yeah. and I, I would love to see Irish writers way more represented in, in, in you know in the Europe and in the UK um, but look we hold our own <laughs> we do no we absolutely do listen I've to, I, time is time has run out on us Irene I could chat to you all day um, about books but look that was brilliant and that's two great recommendations for our listeners um, of books to look forward to coming out either just out or coming out very shortly um, brace yourself for the busyness and uh, enjoy the rest of the season and hopefully I'll see you before the before too long Irene thanks a million Absolutely. for joining Take us care. today thanks a mil well there's a surprise Britney Spears uh, kind of passed me by but that, that song was really beautiful really enjoyed that that was uh, Every Time by Britney Spears now let me tell you about the Town races uh, Belliestown races meeting again tomorrow with a full race card starting at 1.20pm last race will be at 4.50pm and the Town races are running a courtesy bus service on a first come first serve basis from the Abbey Car Park in Drogheda to the race course departing at 12.20pm sharp for tickets and updates, see bellewstownraces.ie and you can also check out Town Races on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter. Right, now, good news for Navin. It has been added to the Irish Walled Town Network, following on from conservation work on the town's medieval walls. This work was recently completed and is important in terms of preserving the walls. Um, in 2022, a conservation and management plan was commissioned by Meath County Council, prepared by Fergal McNamara 7L Architects, in collaboration with archaeologist Claire Ryan. And Claire joins me now. Hi, Claire, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? 
I'm good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, so tell me, tell me about the walls of Navan and tell me how, how old are they and, and uh, what have you done to them? I've done them. <laughs> um, well, they, they date back, I suppose, to the 12th century. Wow. Um, so it was probably um, a follower or a relation of Hugh de Lacey that started the, uh, the initial building of the walls and enclosing an area that um, the Normans, I suppose, could control and tax goods and services coming into the, the town itself. Um, so, yeah, it dates back to the, the 12th century. Right. And what kind of condition were they in before you started uh, the work on them? Um, well, they, they, I suppose they were like any, you know, stone monument that has been left over time with, um, with little or no conservation. Uh, so they, they were badly in need of, of restoration. And the rubble core had started, uh, I suppose, to disintegrate a little bit because of the ingress of water, which right. is always a problem on stone monuments. Um, so they, they weren't in a great condition. Now they, weren't, they weren't in a bad condition. Um, they have been a little bit protected, I think, more or less because of where they are. They're in the council urban yard. So there, there was no access um, right. in there for, for a very long time, I'm sure. Um, so slightly protected, but also badly in need of, of um, a lot of work. Right. OK. And how long did the, did the process of conservation take? Um, it takes a couple of weeks from start to finish. Um, the, that's the physical work on the walls. Yeah. Um, so a lot of um, very, very skilled work goes into that. Um, so the conservator, Greg Smith, um, who uh, really is brilliant at what he does, he, um, he was responsible for, for the work. And Fergal, of course, is the um, architectural um, conservator that um, you know would oversee the, the reconstruction, or sorry, the, the um, restoration of the wall itself. Yeah, and I believe the conservation plan has has other elements um, included with plans for. Um, well, you can tell me, is there plans for an outdoor kind of museum? Yeah, I mean, uh, long term, um, I suppose, um, if the, the yard itself becomes available, uh, definitely there there are plans for you know a possible little tourist area. There's also a very high rise um, concrete platform in that yard. So it's very like a natural amphitheatre, if that makes sense. Oh, wow, yeah. But you, have, you have the wall behind it and um, you have this, um, it was like a loading area um, in, in years gone by for loading on carriages or, or lorries, you yeah. know, goods and materials. Um, so that is there. It's a part of the infrastructure of the wall now. Um, and possibly access and support as well to the wall. So that, that would definitely be staying. But it, the art itself is interesting. I mean, it's, um, it definitely would would hold well for an outdoor theatre or um, a small area for tourists, something like that. that yeah. Um, a park area that tourists could come to and, um, you know, it could be developed in some way, definitely. Yeah. And um, the, the news now that um, that Navan, because of this work, has now been um, added to the Irish Walled Town yeah. Network. What will that mean for the for the town and for the walls? What benefits will that bring? Um, that brings a lot of benefits. Um, I suppose in one way, if you're looking at it clinically, it brings in a lot of funding. Um, the Irish Walled Town Network is um, part of the Heritage Council, I suppose, and um, they're very keen to promote heritage, you know, cultural areas of cultural viability in towns. And um, it's only one of three towns in Mead that yes. are currently members of the Wall Town Network. And um, so, yeah, it brings in money. It also brings in a lot of um, expertise that they will, uh, they'll certainly come down and they'll um, hold workshops, things like that. Um, community work as well. They're very interested in the community and get the community involved. And they definitely see the value of areas like this, um, you know, for, for the townspeople and people coming in and tourists. 
So there's funding um, and there's also the expertise that come with it and a little bit of prestige, I think, for Navin as well. It's quite neglected over the years. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of allowed to say that, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's great to see and it's just something for the town and the people, you know, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, it does, it brings so much to a town, I think, if there is kind of, yeah. if people can touch history and can kind of be aware of what, um, of, 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 of a town or an area's um, past, if you like. I think I said that. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And kids love it. Kids buy into this hugely. Because yeah. they, they, they have fantastic imaginations. I mean, they, they can actually see themselves at these walls, maybe back in the 12th century. You know, That's kind fantastic. of having, having a, um, uh, what would you say, maybe a reenactment of some sort in their mind because they're, they're just so open to all this kind of thing. So it's fantastic for the, for the youth in the town. Wasn't it incredible how walls that were built that are, are, are that old, built in the 12th yeah. century, are actually still standing at all? Like still standing. I mean, if if you look at the, the wall in Avon, it's, it's substantial in itself, what, what, what remains in the bastion. I mean, if you not too far from Avon, it's put Trim and Kells, and, you know, they've, they've all got medieval walls that survive. And um, such an important part of the, you know, the development of the area and the town and the people. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is, yeah, it's really important. And it'll also add to tourism as well, I presume, um, you know, getting oh, people to come into so. Navan uh, um, and, and have a look at the walls. Well, look, at congratulations um, on the work. It sounds, uh, it sounds terrific and um, continued success with all that you do. And thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join us. Could today. I just quickly yes. say thank you to um, Meath County Council, 7L Architects, and also Greg Smith, the Conservator, Navin History Society and um you know, and, and, and the councillors who were involved, Eddie Fennison is very involved too in trying to push this forward. So thank you very much. Good work and it's nice to hear a local council being praised and thanked for the work they do. So that's that's Absolutely. terrific. That's terrific. Thank you very much. That was Claire Ryan there. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> and you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully in for Jerry Kelly again today. And boy, did I hit the jackpot today, getting the last Friday of the month and I get to talk about books. And now I'm getting to ta- try some wine. And joining me in the studio today is the wine guru who's here every month. Uh, Rick Conje, how are you doing? If I was any better, I couldn't cope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I've got the right mic there for you. Let me just check. Um, go in the green one there again. You good, Rick? I yeah. don't know. Am I? Yeah, I think we're all right. Are we all right? Um, anyway, you've brought in some... Uh, you've, you've got a bag. I love to see a man coming with a bag of wine. And there's a whole load of wine. And it's white wine as well, which is good. Yes, uh, I went for white, I think. I think we... Um well, we're going to get a summer now, aren't we? I hope so, yeah. We're in April, yeah. Everybody, now, earlier this morning, somebody was telling me that we're not quite out of the woods yet. Right. But uh, we're going to get a summer, for sure. Oh, well, we'll start it today. Then. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, uh, the grape we're talking about is the Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris? Yeah. Now, I've something. never heard of Pinot Gris. I've heard of Pinot Grigio, but I haven't heard of Pinot yes. Gris. So what's the difference? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Oh, nothing. good. Yeah. I like that. Nothing, nothing to learn. No, this is just a marketing thing. Pinot Gris is the correct term for it because it comes from Burgundy in France and that's the original, uh, well, that's the birthplace. Pinot Grigio is just a marketing thing. Technically, there's no difference. Right. Pinot Grigio, Southern Hemisphere and in particular Italy adapted that to demonstrate the difference because of the flavors that come because of the different regions in which it grows. And... Um, Pinot Gris is part of the Pinot family, Pinot uh, Noir, Pinot Blanc, um, and it's very easily adaptable. 
So when you go to the southern hemisphere, what you're going to find is a nice, crispy, acidy wine, mm. lovely and fresh, where Pinot Gris from France tends to be a little bit on the sweeter side, a oh. bit more body to it. But really, technically, no, there's no difference. They're all the same. They're all the same, except for the flavour. The flavour. Slight Very variation. much, very much uh, uh, variance in flavours. Yes. Okay, good. I like a Pinot Grigio, generally. Yeah, we, like, you know, we go through these stages. It was It's kind of trendy, isn't it? Is that what yeah. you're telling me? Yeah, and then Sauvignon Blanc came along from New Zealand, and then that was the new trend. So, yeah. It, it it comes. It's I hate that. I'm just following the crowd then. That's terrible. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I'm, I'm certainly afraid. no connoisseur. Anyway, yeah. what is the first one? The first one here you have now. Is that, that, yeah. that one in the nice bottle? It's a beautiful bottle. Uh, Freshenet. Now, I right. always thought, and I always pronounced it wrong. Say it again. Freshenet. Okay. And I used to call yeah. it Frixenet. <laughs> but yeah. I thought that was Spanish. Um, it. I think that happens after three classes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. I'm really shooting myself in the foot yeah, all over the yeah, place here. Yeah, yeah. So it's not Freshen Spanish. And um, this uh, it's Italian. It's Italian. Italian. This particular uh, ver- uh, bottle comes from the Garda region. And uh, it's North. a 2021. Very, okay. Again, Barbara, just for listeners' sake, you know, when we talk, we specify the year um, or the vintage and if there's different ranges or, or, or labels, just so that there's no confusion mm. when you go and buy, you know. And um, See, I would have got confused by that label because I always thought, um, fr- fr- how do you pronounce it? Frex- uh, f- Freshenet. Freshenet. Okay, yeah. I always thought that that was sparkling. That's what they're famous for. Ah, okay. That but if I saw that on a label, for. I'd think, oh, it must be sparkly, but it's not. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, this, this this is a lovely story because it was, you know, through marriage, two families. Yeah. And it goes way back uh, to, what's it, 1861, I think it is, uh, in Catalonia but it is Spanish. Spain. Yeah, okay, yeah, so that's no, right. That's the Spanish. origin, yeah. yeah. Okay. Whereas this one, because they've expanded, the origins of Freshenet is Spanish Catalonia. right. Whereas they've now worldwide, in fact, they've been over, taken over by a major uh, international company now. But yeah, you'll find them everywhere now. I mean, they're the biggest exporter of Carver, mm. you know. It so is very nice. It's very nice, very light. Very light, um, yeah. Very, very light. Uh, it, uh, our wines today come from Tesco, um, and this is 15 euro with mm. your club card. 10. 10 euros. Now, I, okay, don't know that's, that's if good. I don't know if they're encouraging you to get a club cart or they're encouraging drinking. I'll leave that up to <laughs> We won't make any <laughs> we judgment. We won't make judgment. We won't make no, any judgment we'll just on enjoy. that. We'll just enjoy. But you do suggest that this would be nice with a kind of light food, you know, like vegetarian food. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's a very light wine. Yeah. It will not uh, stand up to heavy food. So yeah. you need very light food. An aperitif, absolutely. Yeah, nice absolutely. sunny afternoon. Yeah. Sitting in the garden. Yeah. Glass of that. Definitely. Very nice. Definitely. Excellent. Okay, well, I, I approve of that. Rick, that's very yes. good. I told, I've had to down this. Now you're looking at me here to put more in. <laughs> Holy God, I have to drive home. Uh, yeah, a very light one. If you enjoy light wines um, and just uh, something to enjoy, uh, as I say, as an aperitif, um, that 
that well let me tell you I don't want to drag you into a conversation about menopause Mm. but um, I do know that since I hit menopause my favourite always was heavy red wines and uh, they I I never fell out of love with them but they fell out of love with me and delivered me the most horrendous migraines and I know I am not alone as a woman who had to give up my my, uh, heavy red wine so and I still can only go very easy on the old white wines but the light white wines tend to be softer and gentler yes on women of a certain age Rick just bear that in mind I'm I'm very much aware of that (laughs) I'm very much aware of that (laughs) okay where are we going next oh we're going to Australia yeah we into Australia McGuigan's um uh, They're a well-known name as well. Well-known, well, known, very well-known mm. uh, uh, name now. And I mean, you know, they, uh, they, although they, you know, the name McGuigan or the label only really a 1992, but in fact, they go way back to the 1880s. Wow, okay. You know, but it's really taken off. Um, they have like something like 2,700 hectares, you know. That's massive. That's a fine size. Uh, that's a fine size. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fine yeah, big yeah. estate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they, I mean, I think they've got about fourteen or fifteen labels. They do. Wow. And I think one will definitely uh, recognise. Yes, yeah, Tempest Two. You would have seen that in Tesco. You would right. have seen that label. Tempest Two. Yeah. Tempest Two. You would definitely seen that. I've seen it there. Yeah. Uh, and then the Penth. but we don't really see that here. But. You know, again, it's a marketing situation okay. that you have there. And what have now, you brought for us today? Again, that's also the 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 Pinot Grigio, and what we I'm just trying to demonstrate. You know, one from the old yep. world or you yes, know, Europe, and Europe. Then one from uh, from the northern Emirates, one now from the southern. Again, 2021, and this is the McGuigan's. Very important. It's the signature ah range. Okay. And we'll, we'll, I've brought another one yeah, where just to demonstrate the difference. The difference, And okay. why we stress or emphasise when we talk. And the easiest way to tell them apart, if you're like me and half blind mm. going around the supermarket yes. with your glasses, is that the signature rate has the white label. It's not the black label label. Correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Exactly. So uh, this is the uh, signature Pinot Grigio that, that you're going to uh, test now. Mm-hmm. Um and straight away, if you it's look, it's a great at the, job. Do you know that? Yeah, if, it's a great job. If if you look at the color, it's slightly darker, not much, but mm. you can see there's a, a difference in color. But straight oh, that's away, lovely. Straight away, you can feel the weight in your mouth. I it, prefer that. Now. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a it's a more full bodied yeah. uh, wine to it. Perhaps a touch of of sweetness in mm. it, but not sugary sweetness. No. But for me, I got more fruit. Then the citrus in the, in the freshener, you definitely got the citrus, very yeah. light but very. I'm going to say a bit more acidity in the first yeah. one, whereas this one is a lot more, but definitely a fuller, more body, yeah, more body. Oh gosh, yeah, definitely, definitely. definitely. That's very good. So yeah. that's again, that's the McGuigan, and the thing for people to look for is the signature label. It's a signature so label. So it says McGuigan that, signature. Yes, yes, and that's and, their and, Pinot Grigio. Yeah, and Brian McGuigan signatures on it. I assume that's was the intention there. Right. Um, now what I did and. Uh, this was just to prove the point we're making, Barbara. Yeah. It's, it's not uh, a wine that we're promoting today. Um, this is also McGuigan, black label, Pinot Grigio, oh, same, the every the same, but just a different label. Okay. But you can taste the difference in that. <sighs> Tough job. I'm having a great time. Tough job. <laughs> yeah, that's kind yeah. of sharper or something, is it? Very sharp. Yeah. And 
if you let it linger a bit, there's a touch of bitterness in the back. A touch there. of who? Bitterness. 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 Yes. Yeah. It's it's just not on the same level, I'm afraid. No, that's not. No. So the no. message here is look for the white label in the McGuigan where it says signature and yeah. Bob's your uncle. And that one, the McGuigan signature, that retails for seventeen euros in Tesco's or eight fifty with your club card. With your club card. Yeah. 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 I'll just try this again just in case. Yeah, you know, of, of, absolutely. <laughs> mm, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that, but that, that one is the winner, definitely. Oh, the no. They, they, there's no, you can, uh, uh, there, there's, yeah, there's almost like a tinny taste to the second yeah. one. It's just not there. Yeah. No. Now. Non-alcoholic. Yeah, no, this is important. You see, again, going back to the women of a certain age, this is important. Sometimes you don't want to stop drinking and see like a big wet blanket at the party. So let's, yeah, I'm dying to see if you've managed. I've never found a non-alcoholic that I actually liked. Well, this is Dr. Zenzen and they have a history of making this. Now, this is from Dr. Dunn's Dr. Zen Zen. Yeah. Zen wine. Zen. <laughs> yeah. I'm to be very Zen after all this. It, it sounds... Zen uh, Zen. Yeah, it sounds uh, complicated. This is actually from Dunn's stores. Tesco is, didn't have this. I uh, hear that just tastes like flat lemonade. I'm exactly. sorry now. Br- exactly. That's awful. Yeah. It doesn't taste like wine. No, it doesn't. It just tastes no, it like doesn't. some kind of weird yeah. flat lemonade. Yeah. Oh, and I was so excited. <laughs> and now I'm... Mm. It's very hard when you... Uh, Take out the alcohol. Yeah, it's very hard. It's, it's just not the same. <laughs> it's not. However, however, it, it, you know, it is a substitute for... If you're the designated driver... Yeah, and, and you perhaps in uh, Jesus, in the pub, you'd yeah. be better off having sparkling water. Probably would. Do you know? Put a slice of lemon in it for four euro. Yeah, you're not. That's exactly, not great, now, really. Um, That's disappointing. Yeah, the thing is, you know, it uh, non-alcoholic wine as a whole is on the rise, and uh, we're just trying to demonstrate to people. You know, I get very jealous because I think if you drink beer, which I don't drink beer, non-alcoholic beers apparently taste quite very like beer. So. Yeah. Whereas non-alcoholic wines taste like lemonade. <laughs> just the difference is that you can't manipulate wine to the extent so you can yeah. with beer. And yeah. what happens in non-alcoholic wines, it's at the very, very last stage that the wine, that the alcohol is removed. Yeah. Uh, it's actually an extra step, right. to be honest, technically. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just not a... Uh, with beer, you've got a, you know, uh, much more scope to manoeuvre. Yeah. With wine, you know, you've only got one product. Yeah. And that's the grape. I'm wondering if you put like kind of soda water or sparkling water or something in there, would you help it along a little bit? But like, I that's think, tragic, yeah, I really, think you to might get a few bubbles, but not yeah. much more than that. <laughs> it's, it's not, not going to bring it to the party. No. No, yeah. I'm afraid it's it's dead. But still, it's it is flavoursome, and it's only four euros. In fairness, yeah, I I'm so always reluctant to bring price into it, you know, because. Um, but I hate paying. You know these gins that are uh, non-alcoholic that cost as much as a, as a proper bottle of gin. Yeah. Like I feel getting ripped off there. So at least if you're buying this non-alcoholic wine and you're only spending four yeah. euros, well, this is cheap. I must tell That's you, cheap, a lot yeah. of other non-alcoholic wines is not oh, too far off the price. Yeah, oh, that right. is really really cheap. Okay, but. This is um, this is really just the juice from Pinot Gris and nothing more. Mm. OK, well, we'll cancel that. OK, Rick, we'll cancel that and we'll give today's top prize to the McGuigan Signature Range Pinot Grigio, which is absolutely divine. The Frexenay, I'm still... 
I'm very not, too light. The, oh, sorry. Very light. And yeah. the bottle is lovely. You could put a lovely candle in there and make a lovely yoke with the bottle, but that's about it. Listen, that was great, Crack Rick. Thank you so much. I hope I'm here again, but I probably won't be on the next Friday that you're in. But uh, it was lovely to see you again. And thank you very, very much for that. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, after the break, don't go away. We have some comedy with Peter Kay. Late lunch, Barbara Scully here with you. And now it's time for my specialist topic, which is sport. We're going to look ahead to the sport that we can look forward to this weekend. But thankfully, we have help us at hand with our sports guru, David Sheehan. How are you, David? Hey, Barbara, good to talk to you again. Yeah, how are you? I'm sure you were thrilled when you saw that it was me in the studio again. It means you're going to have to work twice uh, as look, hard. It's, it's, I, get, you get, I get a bit tired of talking to Jerry every, th- every Friday, you know, so it's a nice change. <laughs> a nice change. I hope, he's not li- I hope he's not listening. I hope he's not listening either. You won't be on next week. <laughs> anyway, um, let's start then um, with the League of Ireland tonight and tell us what we have to look forward to. Yeah, two games. I'm actually just pulled in off the N7 at the moment. It's lashing rain. I'm on my way down to Cork. Um, Drogheda are playing Cork City. I'll get to that one in a moment because the big one, I guess, is Dundalk taking on Shamrock Rovers. Dundalk in third place. Shamrock Rovers defending champions but haven't won this season yet, which is remarkable, really. But Dundalk went into the break with that 1-0 win over Drogheda. Slightly fortuitous. They didn't play great that night. Drogheda missed a penalty late on as well, but Nathan Shepard made a really good save. But they were not their best that night, Dundalk, but they still are betting in a lot of new players. And that obviously takes a little bit of time. But what a game to, to come back from the international break to Oriel Park will be rocking tonight. As I said, Shamrock Rovers not in great form at the moment at all. Um, we're, we're pegged back by St. Pat's the last day with a late equaliser on, on St. Patrick's Day. So they haven't been going well at all. Dundalk and, and Rovers, of course, big rivals going back a few years and, and even still now, even though Dundalk haven't been uh, at their best in terms of winning titles the last few years. But it's going to be a cracking game. Um, Shamrock Rovers are under a bit of pressure to, to get a win. Um, I think Dundalk will, will be all guns blazing on this one tonight. Um, but I think it'll be a, a draw. I think maybe one all, two all in this one. I think Shamrock Rovers will show enough steel to, to get a point out of it. Uh, but it's it's going to be a fascinating game. And then, as I mentioned, the draw the game down in Cork City. Their first trip to Cork City since 2017. They haven't been in the same division, those two sides, for quite a while. So... Drogheda three points ahead of of Cork at the minute. Um, Cork City, their first season back in the Premier Division after a few seasons away. They haven't been they haven't been at their best. They haven't been brilliant. They've been a bit up and down. They had that remarkable four-all draw against Shamrock Rovers when they let a big lead slip. Um, but they lost the last day to Shelburne. They haven't been haven't been really pulling up any trees just yet. And you know a lot of people at the start of the season tip and draw to to be in the bottom two, but they'll be looking at Cork City and the way they've started and they'll be thinking to themselves, we can get a win here and we can keep Cork City down. We can put six points between ourselves and Cork. Um, so I, I think Drogheda will have enough to, to get the win. It's going to be a tight enough game. It's my first trip to Turners Cross. It'll be a packed house, six, seven thousand people there. But um, I, I'm back in Drogheda to come away with a win from that one. OK, so you're, you're going with Drogheda uh, down in Cork and uh, you're going for a draw with uh, Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers. Interesting. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll see if you're right. Um, now, tomorrow, Premier League matches to look forward to. Yeah, and it's a big weekend. Uh, it could be a pivotal enough weekend in the Premier League. I mean, the thing the thing you have to remember is we're almost into April, but the season goes on till the end of May. There's still the best part, I think, 12 games, depending on what t- teams we talk about having game in, games in hand and whatnot. You're talking 10, 12 games left for every team. So there's still lots of life left at both ends of the table in the Premier League. But... Manchester City playing Liverpool tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon half past 12 kickoff at the Etihad City in second place they're currently eight points behind Arsenal they do have a game in hand um, so 
they have that game tomorrow against Liverpool. Haaland is a doubt, or Erling Haaland rather, is a doubt. Phil Foden is definitely out. So if Haaland was to miss that game as well, such an important player for City, that would give Liverpool a real opportunity and obviously would be good news for Arsenal if Liverpool can get something out of that game. Liverpool in sixth place, they need to get a win uh, and start picking up wins to get themselves back into the into the Champions League places. They're, uh, they're a little bit outside at the moment. They're seven points off fourth place, so they need to get a win as well. But um, it's going to be it's going to be a hard one to call. City... I think we'll probably get the win and they'll close the gap to Arsenal to five points and Arsenal then play at three o'clock at that in a second. But I think City will just have a little bit too much. If Haaland is, is out, that's a massive deal for Manchester City. But I expect he will play. The, the rumours are that he will uh, from what I can see on, online and stuff. So I think he'll play and I think City will just get the win in that one. And then Arsenal kicking off against Leeds at three o'clock. William Saliba is still missing for them centre-back. So he's a bit of a miss. But... Leeds not going great themselves. They're they're not quite in a relegation battle in terms of the, the bottom three places. They're not down there yet, but it's so tight at the bottom of the table that they, they really need to start picking up a few points themselves to stay out of that bottom three. Uh, but I think Arsenal at home against Leeds, now we, we saw them against Bournemouth a few weeks ago where they got a very late winner and they were 2-0 down, but I think Arsenal should have enough to, to take Leeds in that one and, and uh, at least keep, keep their lead. And if Liverpool can get something off City, they, they can extend their lead a little bit, albeit City will still have that game in hand at the end of play. And then one other game to look out for on Sunday is Newcastle against Manchester United. It's a real battle for fourth place. Manchester United are third at the moment but if Newcastle were to beat them they would go above Manchester United and into the top four. So uh, so three interesting games. There's, there's lots on, on there's lots riding on plenty of games this weekend but those are the three that they picked out at the top of the table and uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. It's gas, actually, when I was looking at these notes that you sent through, that the two the two games tomorrow are played in the Etihad and the Emirates Stadium. Two of the, obviously, the sponsors are, yeah. the, are the stadiums, are the two, air, two of the three airlines that operate to the Middle East. And it's a route yeah. that I go, not regularly as I'd like, but I visit my daughter. And uh, Qatar, which is the third of those airlines, have the most brilliant uh, safety demonstration. You know, on long-haul flights, the, the cabin crew mm. don't do it. They have a video. And they have a video all set. Now, it's got famous football is in it all went over my head can't tell you who's in it but it's <laughs> absolutely hilarious and it's all set in like um, what you call it the dressing room of obviously a football yeah. match um, and it's 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 a great way to do the safety demo so that's that's the well idea. yeah I mean the, the whole the whole I mean we could spend another hour on it but the whole discussion around the 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 um the influence of the Middle East on, on football in this part of the world is a whole other discussion. But yeah, oh. they're certainly they're certainly omnipresent in terms of their their, uh, their yeah, presence I was surprised. In, in the the West in the Western in the Western world. Yeah, certainly. Okay, leaving I presume the best to last the GA Gaelic Games. Um, there is uh, when is this? This is on Sunday on Sunday as well. Yeah. So tell us about the hurling league. Yeah, the Mead. So Mead were relegated last year from Division Two A of the hurling league, which which wasn't great for them. Um, and many people, most people, would have expected them to to come straight back up, or they would have been certainly hoping that they'll come straight back up. Uh, so they've given themselves the best possible opportunity. They won all their games in Division Two B. They played Donegal on Sunday in Carrick on Shannon, which wouldn't be uh, known for hosting hurling mm. matches really, but it's a, I suppose a sort of a halfway point for both sides so yeah live on Sunday Sport at 2 o'clock Mead Brilliant. beat Donegal 123 to 16 uh, in the in the group stages so to speak or during the regular season so they should be they should be expected should be to win, or they will be expected to win that one and Excellent. they've they've all their all their top players back so yeah I, I think Mead should win that one it'd be very disappointing and if they were to lose it and that's live on LMFM at 2 o'clock listen that's brilliant David enjoy your weekend safe uh, journey onward there to, to Cork hope the rain eases up for you and you enjoy the match Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Thanks very much. a million. Talk to you next time. And that's it for today. Stay with us. Um, Eddie Caffrey is coming up next. I'm here again on Monday. Um, love you to join us. Have a great weekend. And we are leaving you today with Harry Styles. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.